Amen. Last weekend before Christmas, anybody frantically running around? Any, any last minute people? No? Everybody's got it done? We got one back here. Got another one over here. All right. They're out there. Thank you. They're out there. Hallelujah. Christmas is a great time, and, you know, as with anything we do in life, we always run the risk of missing the purpose in the midst of the hustle and bustle. But, amen, we are a church that believes in the real reason for the season. Amen. And um, this has been a good series. Are you all getting something out of this? Treasures. We've been learning about worship. Learning about worship. Amen. And uh, so God has shown us some awesome things throughout this series, and I hope that you have uh, been able to pick up on some of that stuff. If uh, there's any services that you have missed, I would highly encourage you to go online. Um, All of our messages are available online for you to hear, for you to listen to. But we've been learning some powerful truths on worship. And it's amazing that something that seems so old, something that seems that, you know, you almost do that on accident. You almost, you know, that just comes with the territory. You go to church and you worship God. But how many of these things have we missed, the true purposes and the the reality of what worship is for us? Um, So I, I hope that you have been able to get something out of this as well. I want you to turn in your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 2. This has been our uh, primary passage, our main uh, subject that we've been looking at. Amen. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 2. Y'all doing good today? Amen. It's good to be in the house of God. Matthew chapter 2. Let's look at verse 11. This is where we've been. It says, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child. We know that this is Jesus. And it's speaking of the wise men particularly. When they, the wise men, had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Remember, we've been asking ourselves these questions. What in the world would cause... These men, these men, by the way, are kings. You know, wise men doesn't just mean they were super wise or nerdy or they just knew a lot of good stuff. Uh, They were wise men, but uh, some translations even call them the three kings. And again, we don't know that there were three. We just assume that based upon the gifts that were given, there could have been more. But when these men came, they fell down and they worshipped a baby. A child. What in the world would cause three kings to travel as far as they did? Some say this journey could have taken them as long as two years to come down and worship, fall down and worship a baby. A baby that has not done anything for them. A baby that has not gone to the cross yet. And again, I remind you that these men are not saved. These men are not born again. This wasn't just, oh, well, we know who Jesus is, and we just, you know, he's the son of God. And No, they knew what this man was going to do. They knew what this man was going to do. See, a lot of us, and this is where we're going to go today, a lot of us just worship God out of response. 
We don't worship God for things we want to see done. We worship God for things he's already done. Or when we get the answer that we've been praying about for so long and the thing that we've been believing God for for so long, that's when we start lifting our hands and singing and praising. But we have a hard time as a church to worship God for stuff he's going to do. And these men came all this way to worship a baby that hadn't done anything for them yet. A baby that has not gone to the cross. A baby that has not healed anybody. A baby that has not delivered them from the hand of the Roman Empire. A baby that has not brought the kingdom of heaven back to the earth yet. But because of what they know this baby can do. Because of what they know this baby, let me take it a step further, will do. They fall down and they worship him. And they didn't just fall down and worship him. But they brought stuff. And when they had opened their treasures, that's where we got the title from. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we saw this last week. We saw this last week that worship always brings something. Worship always has something to give away and something of value. Worship always gives something when you least want to give it. Worship is a heart. Worship is a position. Worship doesn't have to do with songs. Worship doesn't have to do with who's on stage. And if we have a guitar player or a piano player, or or if the person singing really has a gift to sing, uh, worship doesn't have to do uh, with the right tone and the right sound and is everyone on key. Worship doesn't have to do with do I know the words or do I know do I not know the words? Do I like this song or do I not like this song? See, these are all the things that for us dictate whether we worship. And if I don't know the song, then I'm just going to stand there. I'm just going to stare at the words on the screen, even though they're there for your benefit. They're there so you can know the words. I, when I went to church, we didn't have words on screens, man. The lights didn't come down, and we didn't have cool presentations. We had choir and, a choir, and choir robes that were ugly and nasty. And the only reason they did that is because they couldn't get 50 people to wear the same thing. That's why they did it. That's why they went to choir robes is because somebody's going to get up there looking trashy. Somebody's going to get up there in a tank top or a Tweety Bird t-shirt or something. And so, you know, let's just give everybody a robe. Everybody's uniform. Everybody's wearing the same thing. That's everybody's on the same page. Right? That's when, that's when I went to church. The lights stayed on and they were bright. And there weren't like, you know, cool, shining, different color lights either. Now, when I got into high school, that's when we started introducing the projector. And the projector, what we had was we had these clear transparency sheets. And usually they had those dry erase markers that they would write on the transparency with. And, you know, they never laid it down the first time right. They'd lay it down and the words were backwards. And they'd flip it over and the words were upside down. They didn't finally get it right like the third or fourth time. And, you know, you see people's hands coming across the thing and... You know, that's what I went to worship. If my son was in one of those worship services, he'd be like, we're supposed to pray. Where's the TV? Where's the cool graphics? Where's the motion backgrounds? Where's the, the text? Where's the cool fonts? Where's the logos? I mean, he, he'd be floored. He wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have a clue, man. Amen. But I learned, I learned how to worship God, man. Worship wasn't determined by all that. I remember, the, I remember times I'd be in worship services and there wasn't even any music. 
It was just people lifting their voice. It didn't matter if they could sing. It didn't matter if they had a great voice. It didn't matter if we were on key. It was people lifting their voice out of a heart and passion to worship God. Why? Because you cannot worship what you're not submitted to. It's the first point we saw in this series. You cannot worship. And so we had a room full of people that were submitted to God. We had a room full of people that loved God and loved the presence of God and were submitted to Him, not just inside the building, but outside. And we, we said this the first week, too, that an act of worship doesn't replace a heart of worship. There's many people that are lifting up acts of worship, but they don't have the heart of worship. And so I want to talk about the heart of worship in this series. I want to talk about how do we get to the level where we are always in a position to worship God? Because we saw this, that worship is the culture of the kingdom. If you're in the kingdom of God, you worship. That's what you do. It's just something you do. And I'm not saying that we, it, it should be so nonchalant that we just do it without thinking about it. But in a sense, I'm saying it should be such a part of our nature and such a part of our culture and such a part of our daily activity that we worship God on a regular basis. And we don't tie down worship to something that we do right before service on Sunday mornings at 1030. Worship is a part of our lives. Therefore, when we come in here, this is all of us worshiping out of an overflow of what's really in our hearts. And so these men show up, these men come, a two years journey, come from a long ways to fall down and to worship and to bring gifts to a baby that has done nothing for them. But like I said, because of what they know he can do and because of what they know he will do, they've got a heart of worship got a heart of worship. I want to talk to you today about a proactive worship, not a reactive worship. I want to talk to you today about a proactive worship, not a reactive worship. In fact, go over to Acts chapter 16. And many of you know this story and probably know where we're going to go with this. but I believe that it is a great picture, a great revelation, a great presentation of what God wants worship to look like for all of us. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 16. This is a story of two men, two men named Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas are on a ministry trip. Paul and Silas are on a ministry trip. Paul and Silas are ministering. They're doing ministry. But how many of you know that doing good stuff and just working for God doesn't always mean that everything goes the right way all the time? How many of you know that there's trouble that comes even when you're doing the right thing? I love how James chapter 1 puts it, uh, to be of good cheer, uh, to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Fall into. I mean, sometimes you didn't put yourself there. I mean, sometimes it just came along that way. But what does it tell us to do? Be of good cheer. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. And so Paul and Silas are traveling here, 
And uh, in Acts chapter 16, verse 16, they're ministering. But it says, now it, at, now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl, a possessed, uh, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit for fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed... <laughs> How many of you know sometimes ministry can be annoying? <laughs> sometimes ministry doesn't just always, you know, everything just goes your way. And he says, Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Now, although, you know, for us, we think when we would, when, if we would see somebody set free, if we would see somebody delivered, if we would see somebody healed or, you know, have a demon possessed, you know, obviously all of us would be rejoicing. We would be excited. That would be easy to count it all joy. That would be easy to say, man, praise God, look what he's done. But sometimes the signs and the miracles and the revelations of God don't always get met with as much joy. And so although they have done this great thing, Uh, here in verse 19, it says, But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Sometimes when you do a miracle, there's going to be somebody that's not so excited about it. There's somebody that's going to think more about themselves than the other person. There's going to be somebody that is going to lose something. In fact, the devil loses something every time a miracle takes place. This is how the devil views miracles. This is how the devil views signs and wonders. He just sees what he has lost. And so verse 20 says, And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them. The magistrates tore off their clothes commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet, their feet in the stocks. Well, that didn't turn out so good. Again, you know, most of us, you know, we're, what's crossing your mind at this point? What's going through What's going through your insides right now? You're thinking, God, I'm working for you. Right? I am doing your ministry. You called me to this. I'm delivering people. I'm setting people free. People are being delivered at your hand as a result of my obedience to you. And this is the payback that I get. This is, see, we limit what God can do for us based upon what we've done for him to that small moment when God's thinking way bigger than this. God thinks so much bigger than us, guys. God sees beyond what we see. God sees beyond the moment. God sees to tomorrow. 
you know, we've been talking about vision on Wednesdays. God has vision. God is a vision God. God is vision-minded. He's not living in today with you and I. He sees what we're doing today as something that will set us up for tomorrow. As something that will put us in a position. You know, it's almost like uh, that, that one game. What's that called that you're always turning stuff? and Rubik's Cube. I'm not very good at it, therefore I don't even know what it's called. Never really sat down. But you know you're just constantly trying to set stuff up. And sometimes it looks like you're making a bigger mess. But you know in your mind that you're really putting something together. God is always steps ahead of us. That's why he's qualified to ordain our steps. You don't want someone to ordain your steps that's just walking them with you. That's guessing with you. That's walking right beside you saying, all right, what steps should we go over here? Okay, let's try that. Let's see what happens. No, God is out front saying, all right, now right here. Okay, now this one. All right, now I'm going to bring you over here. Now I need you to take this step. And for us, it's a step of faith. And so God is just setting up Paul and Silas. And we know the end of the story, so we can say that. But, you know, many times we get in these positions, but we respond differently than what Paul and Silas responded. We're just thinking about what is being done to us. We're thinking about the situation that we're in. I want you to think back. Actually, turn back. Keep your finger there in Acts chapter 16. But I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 2. You know, sometimes we think that as a result of being together and worshiping God, I just want to know, just... You can raise your hand. We don't, we're not going to get specific, but I just want to know, has anyone ever left the church service, gone home, and either that afternoon or the next day, something has tried to attack you or come against you, maybe financially, physically, something at work, something, anybody? Wow. That's amazing. All of us church people, I mean, we just went to church. God, I just went to church. God, I just worshiped you. God, I just lifted my hands. I just sang to you. I just listened to your word. I even took notes, God. God, I have notes here. Why is this stuff happening to me? Why are these things taking? Why is it, hasn't this bill been taken care of? Why is my car still acting like this? Why do I still have this issue at work? Why is my spouse still treating me this way? Why are my kids still doing this? Why is my job still this big wreck? Why? Am I, what am I doing wrong? What, what is, am I not doing enough? Well, look what happens here with the wise men. Matthew chapter 2, verse 12. This is right after they worship God. This is right after they gave gifts. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. What's that mean? Somebody was out to get them. Herod had tricked them and said, hey, after you worship him, Come find me so that I may also worship him. But that was not Herod's intent, obviously. Herod wanted to go kill the baby. So now an angel is warning them that there's trouble. Sometimes after we come out of worship, after we come out of praise, even after we come out of moments where God has moved so mightily in our lives, things still are trying to attack us. But I want to talk about a worship today that does not just respond to the good things that God does, but opens the doors for the good things God wants to do. 
And so here in Acts chapter 16, we can flip back over now that we've seen that sometimes trouble follows worship. Sometimes issues follow worship. But the, the goal is, the key is, is that you've received something here. You've learned something here. You have been in the midst of something here that will strengthen you for what's out there. That's the goal. This isn't just a good practice to get rid of trouble. This is something you do to come against trouble. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, you know, it's hard for us to imagine what they're really feeling. I've never, I don't know in my life that I've ever really been hit with a stick. You know, just straight up. I don't know that there's ever, I can't recall a time I would think that I would remember that. Just once, just once, somebody just coming up and taking a stick and just hitting me square in my back with it. I I don't know that that's ever happened. I, I have not come across a whole lot of painful moments in my life. Some people in this room have. I don't know. I mean, some of you may have been shot. Some of you may have actually been hit with sticks. Some of you may have been punched in the face. I've punched people in the face, but I've never been punched in the face. I have punched two people in the face. <laughs> Your pastor, <laughs> not recently, was back in school. But honestly, there was one time that I did, and I thought I was never going to move my hand again. It actually probably hurt me more than it hurt the other guy. I thought I had broken a knuckle or something in my fist. It it hurt so bad. And I had to walk away like I was all tough, but I was like, why did I just do that? So it's hard for me to put myself in the position that Paul and Silas are right now. I've never been locked away in a dungeon. I've never been put in a place that's just so disgusting and so nasty that you, know, you only put the worst of criminals there. I've never been uh, 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 shamed in front of people the way these two men have in front of the entire town, the entire city. Made a mockery of. I, I've never been placed in that position. The, the trials and tribulations that we endure are, are somewhat different than what the Bible talks about. But in this day and age, there are being people that are being placed against the same trials and tribulations these men dealt with. We're seeing it happen today. On the other side of our world, we're having people that are literally being put in a position of professing Christ are being killed. It's taking place. So these men are uh, not necessarily in a situation where praising, praying, and worshiping is exactly the, the most natural response. Okay, But we've all been in situations where we don't feel like praying, praising, and worshiping. We've all been there. You've all been in moments where that's not exactly what you feel like doing. But see, worship is faith-based. Worship is faith-based. Those wise men came to bow down and worship a baby... Because, again, of what they knew he was going to do, not something he 
had done. And I'm going to tell you something today, and we're going to open up into this more next week too. But worship is one of your greatest weapons that you have in the midst of trial, and you don't even know it. And many of us rarely use it. In fact, we do the very opposite. We do the very opposite. And I believe that if we could grasp this concept, grasp the truth of what worship will do for us in the midst of trial, not in the midst of awesomeness, not in the midst of everything going right, not in the midst of God has just shown himself faithful, not in the midst of I just got the answer. I believe that worship is the channel to the answer, not just the response from the answer. And it says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And I love this part. And the prisoners were listening to them. And the prisoners were listening to them. It shows us a few things. Number one, they weren't just, you know, keeping it quiet. It wasn't just to themselves. But number two, I believe that it, it bears the importance of our worship and how it impacts other people. And we don't even know it. Guys, we're in this earth to influence. And although I believe that our influence can be very effective, and our influence, you know, we can influence directly, I believe that there are ways that we influence people indirectly and don't even know it. And I believe this is one of those moments. Because these prisoners around them are in the same situation they are. How many people do you know that are in the same situation you are? But maybe your response to the situation will help deliver them. Maybe your response to the situation will help set them free. Maybe your response to the situation will show them, I need to respond differently to this situation. These men are all bearing the same weight. These men are all dealing with the same thing. And verse 26 tells us, Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loose. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And again, I'm just pointing out stuff that many of us have already seen. But where do you see Paul or Silas giving an altar call? Where do you see them preaching the gospel? Where do you see them, uh, you know, delivering a powerful message like a Billy Graham or somebody, and then he just comes running down? Could it be that our worship will open the doors? There may be somebody you've been ministering to. There may be somebody in your midst that you've been trying to get the gospel to. And maybe they're just watching what you do rather than listening to what you say. I'm talking about worship. Maybe they're tired of hearing you 
invite them to church to come worship with them, but maybe they're waiting to see you live a life of worship on the job, in the midst of trial, in the midst of the problem, in the midst of the situation. Could we be people that worship is such a part of our nature and such a part of our culture that we allow it to intervene in every area, every aspect of our lives? He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know, you've heard me say this before. You know, they may make fun of you now for living for God and believing in God and loving God and going to church and reading your Bible and doing all the good, godly Christian. They may make fun of you now, but when they're in the mess, guess where they're going to come? When the doctor tells them they've got cancer, guess who they're going to? When they lose their job, guess who they're coming to? When their wife says, I'm leaving you, I'm I'm tired of this, I'm sick of this, I'm not doing this anymore, guess where they're going? They're going to go to where the answer is, not just find another problem. This is us as the church, guys. A life of worship will open doors. A life of worship will open doors. Here, obviously, we see a literal door opened up and the prisoners are set free. But now we see a spiritual door open up. A spiritual door where the roles are reversed. Where the prisoner is saving the jailer. Where the prisoner is saving the one who has them locked up. Really, the one that needed the deliverance was the one that was holding them captive. And the prisoner was the one that really had access to the keys to unlock them. All because of worship. That does not mean go into work tomorrow morning and just walk in with your hands lifted high and praying in tongues real loud and and just singing songs and just ignoring everybody. That's not what it's talking about. Because again, worship is a heart. You cannot worship what you're not submitted to. Worship is a position of submission to my king and to my God. And that kind of lifestyle will breed action and will breed things in my life that other people will see and can become delivered from. I'm talking about a a worshipful lifestyle. I'm talking about a position that we can place our hearts in that then develops actions that lead people to the king. What must I do to be saved? So here's a couple things that I want to look at. Go over to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We've seen the outcome. We've seen what worship can do. I mean, it's right there in front of us. Had Paul and Silas not been singing, not been praying, not been worshiping their God, do you think we would see the earthquake? Do you think we would see the... uh, I mean... What would be the point of mentioning that if God was planning on doing that anyways? But I believe that that gave access to God to do something. And I don't believe that they were praying and complaining. I don't think they were praying and complaining about their wounds and being locked up. 
And a lot of times we spend more time complaining about the problem than praying to God for the answer. We just talked about the issue. We just talked about the problem. We just talked about everything, how bad everything is, as if God has no clue. As if, you know, God has been away on vacation, so we just got to, let me tell you what happened to me this week, God. Let me let you know. You don't even know how bad it is down here. Sometimes we talk to God like we're trying to inform him of what's going on. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. Giving thanks to his name. Continually. Continually. That means consistently. That means this is a lifestyle. This isn't an event. This isn't a time. You don't say, I worship God on Sunday mornings from. You don't stick it in your calendar. This is your lifestyle. This is who you are. You are a worshiper. It's your culture. It's your nature. Let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice. Well, what does that mean? A sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice means you do it even when you don't want to do it. I mean, if you sacrifice something, I mean, if you have two of something and you give one away, have we really sacrificed? But when you give, when you really could use it, I really need this, but I'm going to sacrifice it anyway. It's going to hurt me to give this away. It's going to, uh, I'm giving something of myself that I could really hold on to. I don't really want to give it up. It's a sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice. Paul and Silas in that jail, they gave a sacrifice of praise. Because they could have easily used their words to make themselves feel better. They could have easily used their words to complain about the situation. They could have easily used their words about worry. And we're never going to get out of here. And I can't believe this is happening to me. And God, where are you? We could easily use our words uh, to, to bring those kind of things. But when we give a sacrifice of praise, it's not what I feel like doing. It's not what I want to do. But I'm going to do it anyways. Give a sacrifice of praise. And this is the answer to victory, guys. Victory comes in the preparation, not just in the battle. Most battles are won. Most teams defeat the other team because of preparation. A lack of preparation will always hurt you on the field. You can't skip practice and show up to the game and think you're going to operate at the highest level. When we send our military to war, they don't just go out there blind. They don't just, all right, let's see what we got. We've been building all these machines. We've been training all these guys. See, we got, no, there's preparation. There's meetings. There's times where you're just looking at plans. There's times where you're just putting stuff together. And the preparation time is never wasted time. And guys, what I want to show you today is that our preparation is in our worship. It's in our worship. It's in our worship. If you can spend more time glorifying God than glorifying your problem, 
by the time you come to face the problem, it's going to look so small. It's going to look so mediocre. It's going to look so minute. Your God is going to be so big. Your God is going to be so mighty. Your God is going to be so mad. Think about King David before he became a king. When he goes out to face a giant that the rest of his people, the army, the trained men of war are too afraid to go face this giant. And a shepherd boy shows up. It's not because of who he was. It's because of what he was doing. It was because of the preparation out in the field. It was because of the preparation that was taking place every time he worshipped his God, every time he praised his God, every time he wrote another psalm, every time he wrote another song, all those times where he saw God's faithfulness, he's able to stand before King Saul and say, my God has delivered me from the lion, and my God has delivered me from the bear, and my God will defeat this man because this man speaks against my God. He didn't even take it personally. He said, you're speaking against my God. And because I know my God so well, because I've been in his presence so much, because I worship him so often, because I've gotten to know him, I know he's not going to put up with this. And because I come to you, he's going to fight through me. Without worship, guys, you will feel like you're on your own. Worship, in a sense, is a reminder that there is somebody else fighting your battle for you. That there is somebody else, that this persecution, this trial, this thing that's coming against you, it's not about you. And there's a God that's backing you up. When I spend time worshiping Him, when I spend time, you can't come out of a time of worship and feel weak. You can't come out of a time of worship and feel like it's, it's, it's over, it's done, we're not going to win this thing, we're, we're defeated, we're not going to make it. When you come out of worship, you know your God is big enough to take on anything. Worship, in a sense, is a reminder to you that your God is faithful and your God is able. And we don't worship God after we get the You don't complain about the problem and then the, the, door, the doors just open up and, and, and then people want to come to you and get saved. And Paul and Silas, now they get on their knees and say, oh, God, we, were, we worship you. You've delivered us. You're so mighty. You're so powerful. No, they were saying all that stuff before the, anything ever happened. When it looked the worst, that's when they were worshiping and praising God their best. When we come into those opportunities where we can just complain, where we can just wallow, where we can just cry out and just say, oh, God, deliver me. Oh, God, help me. That's the greatest time to start lifting up your voice and worshiping. That's the greatest time to turn the radio off, turn everything off, turn the TVs off, get off by yourself and just say, God, I just want to worship you. God, I just want to praise you. If you look at the Lord's Prayer over in Matthew chapter 6, you don't have to go there, but over in Matthew chapter 6, he opens up, Jesus opens up with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What's that? I'm just worshiping. In fact, I would encourage you, I would recommend to you that every time you pray, even when you're bringing a need before God, Open up and worship. 
Many times we ask God for things, but still doubt whether he can do it. But if you start your prayers in worship, if you bring your requests to him out of worship, by the time you get to the thing you're asking for, you will have no doubt in your mind that he can't come through for you. If you would start out just by praising, not asking for anything, not talking about the problem, not talking about how bad it is, but just open up and say, God, I just come to you today because you are mighty. You are awesome. I worship you. I praise you. You deserve all the glory. You deserve all the honor. And here's the kicker, guys. He's already done enough for us to this level that if we, if he didn't do another thing for us, we had enough to worship him for for the rest of our life. What he's already done far surpasses what I can bring in worship. I, there's no way I can mouth. There's no way I can bring words. I could spend every second of the rest of my life worshiping and praising him and just telling him. He has angels that are surrounding his throne that literally over and over and over just say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they come back around and they just say it again and again. And again, and again, for eternity, that's all they do. And you might think, well, that sounds boring. And eventually, you got to get tired of that. But here's the thing, is every time they come back around, they see something new about God they never saw before. They say, oh, gosh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They come right back. Oh, my God, holy, holy. Holy. These angels, these creatures are being blown away by the sight of God every single time they see him. Guys, we have plenty to worship God about. Even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of problems, we have things that we can bring to God. But I want to ask you today, is our worship merely a response? Is our worship literally limited to what God has done? And until God performs another miracle in my life, I would even give this to you guys. I would submit this to you, that if you would find yourself with a heart of worship, worshiping God, just daily, just wanting to worship your God, you will notice more of the things that he does for you. More of the little things that you like, oh, man, I didn't even realize he was doing that. I didn't even realize he was working there. I didn't even realize he was making that happen. You will notice. I taught a series not too long ago on recognition and recognizing God and a lack of expectation is a result of a lack of recognition. Many of us don't have an expectation for God for what he's going to do because we don't recognize what he's already doing. Because God is always moving. God is always working in our lives. And when we have a heart of worship, you will find yourselves worshiping and praising God for more of the small things he does in your life. Rather than waiting for the one big thing, rather waiting for that one check to come or the, the, you know, that thing to happen, whatever it is, we start recognizing all the little incremental things that he does on a daily basis. 
Just start praising him for the, the air in your lungs. He'll start praising him for the job that you complain about every day. Thank God I have a job. The things that you've been complaining about, you'll start, instead of, uh, instead of complaining about your spouse, you'll start thanking God for it. Instead of complaining about your children and all the things they do, you'll start praising God and start praying over your children and worshiping God because of your children. Isn't it amazing that just the heart of worship will turn how we respond to things? And God wants us to worship Him proactively, not reactively. God wants us to bring our highest praise and our highest worship, even when we are at our lowest point. He wants a sacrifice of praise. You know how it is, guys. You know, when, when someone gives you something, but you know they could have done more. When someone gives you something, but you know that there wasn't really a whole lot of effort. Whole, there wasn't a whole lot of sacrifice. But guys, when we can praise and worship God, when we have no reason to, when everything's falling apart, God knows he's got you then. God knows that I don't need a worship team to lead you into worship. You'll worship anyways. God knows I don't need to bring a miracle into your life to, for you to worship me. You'll worship me even at the lowest point. God knows that you will worship him. And that's when the doors start opening. That's when jail cells fly open. That's when people start coming to you and saying, hey, what do I got to do? What needs to happen? God will start impressing on other people. Favor will go before your life because you're a worshiper, because you have a heart. To worship. For Paul and Silas in this jail cell, it wasn't just merely an act of worship. It was a heart of worship. For Paul and Silas, it wasn't just merely singing. I mean, they're in a position, they can't even lift their hands. Their hands are in stocks. Have you ever been in a place where you couldn't worship, but you still find a way? Have you ever been in a place where... There's so much on top of me right now. There is literally no way for me to worship, but I'm going to find a way to worship God. Guys, that's what he's looking for today. He's looking for a worship that will open doors. He is looking for a worship that he is, guys, he wants to make a way where there seems to be no way. But it's our preparation it's our proactiveness in worshiping you. God, I know I don't see it today, but I know you're going to come through for me. You are awesome. You are mine. Just tell him about who he is. He loves to hear about who he is. What person doesn't? Thank him for what he has done. You'd be surprised at how hard it is sometimes for us to just think of the things that God has done when we're in the midst of a trial. It's amazing how we can come out of a victory, praise God, but then we get in the next trial, and the next trial always seems bigger than the previous one. The trial you're in is always the biggest one, right? I mean, you can even think of something that might happen down the road. It might think, well, you know, I can get that. But this thing right here, right now, this is the problem. This is an issue. But God says, I want to bring you out of all of it. God says, I want to bring you through all of it. 
There's no problem too big for me. There's no, there's no giant too big. There's no land too big. There is nothing too large for me to take over through you. But I just need you in position. I just need you in position. Many times we miss the blessings of God because we're just out of position. He's been bringing the blessing, but we were somewhere else. You ever seen that happen in a football game? Where the right receiver doesn't run the right route? And the quarterback is thinking, you know, because it's all timing for them. And he's thinking, I'm going to take these steps back. I'm going to turn, and he's going to be right there. And the wide receiver is over here. Well, it wasn't the quarterback's fault. The quarterback delivered the ball perfectly on time, on spot. But it was the receivers. Are we out of position because we're not in a position of worship? Is God trying to bless us? Is God trying to get things to us? But we're out of position. I'll tell you right now, being in the midst of a trial does not put you out of position. Paul and Silas are a testimony to that. You don't need to think, I'm in the midst of this. There's there's no way God can get it to me. There's no way God can bless me. There's no way God can come through. And he's saying, yeah, just stay in position. Just get your heart in the right place. Just get in position. Get behind me. Worship me. Tell me how awesome I am, and I will show myself faithful to you. I want for us, guys, I want worship to be something that we do before we see what we're believing for, not just in response to what we're believing for. Amen. I want us to be in position for what God wants to do. I want us to be in position with an expectation. Can you imagine the expectation that would show up in your life if you just worship him all the time? You just expect it to happen. You would be surprised if he doesn't come through. I worship God so much, I'm surprised if he doesn't come through. I worship God so much that I'm surprised if he doesn't show up. I'm surprised if this doesn't happen. I'm surprised if this thing doesn't turn around. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. Many of us are shocked and surprised when God does show up. Oh, wow, the jail cells are opening. This guy's coming to me. I, I just, I never thought this would happen. No, Paul and Silas knew it would happen because they positioned themselves and they worshiped a God that was greater. When they got themselves spiritually in place, God made things take place naturally that they never thought would Amen. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you this morning that it's the heart of worship that sets us free. It's the heart of worship that delivers us. It's the heart of worship that opens the doors that we've been locked behind. But Father, we thank you that our worship isn't just about us. Our worship isn't just about what you want to do in our lives. Our worship will impact others. Our worship will influence others for the kingdom of God. And so, Father, I thank you. I thank you that in those moments of worship, that we can keep our eyes on you. In those moments of worship, we can keep uh, our eyes on the promise that you have for us. Because we know that he who promises is faithful, is faithful to perform, is faithful to to come through. And so, Father, I thank you today that we get ourselves in a position of worship. Proactively believing that you can come through for us. 
May it not just be a response. May it not just be a reaction to the great things that we see. But may we have a heart of worship so we can see the great things that you want to do in our lives. We thank you for this today. In Jesus' name, amen.